Welcome to Peripheral Thinking, the series of conversations with academics, advisors, entrepreneurs and activists, people all championing those ideas on the margins, the periphery. Why is this important? Well, as the systems on which we've depended for the last 50, 60 stroke thousand years crumble and creak, people increasingly looking for new stories, new ideas, new myths, if you like, that might guide and inform how they live and work. So in these conversations, we take time to speak to those people who are championing the ideas on the margins, championing the ideas on the periphery, those ideas which are going to shape the mainstream tomorrow. Uh, And our hope is that you're a little bit inspired, a little bit curious enough to take some of these ideas and bring them back to the day-to-day of your work and your life. Uh, So Sujit, welcome to Peripheral Thinking. A pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for having me here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, last time, as I kind of mentioned, we, there was a, we had a beautiful free-flowing conversation which touched on, on many things. And uh, when we were arranging this, now uh, we had a sort of quick exchange before Christmas. So we were recording this in January 2024. Uh, we had a quick exchange before Christmas, and you, you were talking about this, this thing around uh, a kind of uh, a crisis of Toxic masculinity, or am I kind of adding adding an extra, extra extra word in there? Was that one one that was one one of the things you sort of you you shared that would be good to talk about? But actually, one of the things, just a little bit of context. I mean, um, I, I enjoyed on your your website the uh, it was sort of talking about um, who you, the, what you do. I think was the because that's the thing obviously which the kind of bucket we're always put into. What do you do? And you kind of really kind of boldly and beautifully. Sort of answer, how do you ever how do you answer the question of what do you, what do you do? But I guess I'm going to put that to you. How do you spend your time, Sujith? Maybe that is a that's a good introductory context for people. Yeah, yeah, indeed. You know, how do I spend my time is a good prompt for me to reflect what I do. You know, indeed. You know, uh, some of the things. You know, I I'm the father of two little kids, so. Spending time with them, I find extremely important and a blessing, a good fortune that I have, that I'm able to actually uh, spend so much time with my kids. So I take that seriously and it's a blessing. It's a great joy. What else? You know, a little bit of farming, a lot of writing. I love, you know, your writing for me is yoga. You know, it is really my way of connecting with myself to discover what I think. That is what I do. Then, that aside, you know, at a vocational level, I'm extremely fortunate to hold space. So I'm a space holder. That would probably be the best pigeonhole where I can put myself in. You know, I hold space for policymakers, um, for organizational leaders, uh, often at a national level, at a supranational level, at, in supranational institutions, bodies. I have been one of the modern champions of the current, the contemporary men's movement in a number of countries, simply because I recognize that the challenge with my own relationship with my masculinity is fairly representative of the challenges that many, many men I come across. And what do I do? I just hold space for them to come to their own clarity of their own inner leadership of like, what does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a father, a spouse, a social citizen? And so um, you were talking about there, um, part of your kind of insight into this was you also kind of being aware of or kind of working through your own relationship to your, to your, to your masculinity. Was that right? Did you make reference to that? Very much. That is, that is a journey that began then uh, when I was 15. I was extremely fortunate to uh, have uh, an initiation with some of my teacher. And uh, that's when it began. And since then, I've continued to be on this journey to continue to refine, polish, purify, explore, expand my inner masculine, my mature masculine energy. And uh, 
that I believe is a process that will continue forever. Are you able to kind of sort of share anything about what the uh, initiation involved? Just because I'm kind of really in- curious about that also, because the, the whole idea of initiation obviously is we, we just sort of so kind of absent in our kind of Western culture here. I'm speaking from, from the UK and uh, one of my uh, boys is 13 or nearly 13. And I just was sort of really struck by the absence of these, of these markers in time, the absence of initiation. And I'm kind of really curious about what experience you had and how that kind of pointed to a lot of this work that you're interested in now. Essentially, an initiation is basically an initiation from the adolescent masculine to the adult masculine or the immature masculine to the mature masculine or the sacred masculine or the divine masculine. In the New Age movement, I keep hearing these words. So I just want to make them inclusive. And so initiation is that process to essentially subtract a lot of the uh, adolescent conditioning that we've actually grown up with. You know, it's a raw masculine, which is combined with a whole lot of uh, conditioning that we experience through our parents, through the relationship that we have with our parents, through what we absorb from our peers in school, what we pick up from the media, such a huge influence today in the world where media is in everybody's smartphone, in everybody's pocket. The kind of influence all these forces has on have on us conditions us to become who we are by the time we are 13, 14, 15, 16, and we are in that individuation stage. Now, in the ancient traditions, we recognize that, you know what? Yes, we are loved, we are nurtured, We are cared for, we are carried forward as a child, as a boy, as a girl, by our parents, by our communities, our schools, our peers, all of that. And now we get into our adolescent and teenage stage, a stage where we are individuating. We are discovering who we are in our own essence. And in that stage, it is fundamentally crucial, extremely crucial that all of us Boys, girls, people of other genders are taken through an initiation so that on the other end of initiation, we arrive, you know, in union with the mature masculine, the mature feminine, all of that. And the how, the how-to of the initiation across all indigenous traditions and civilizations have been pretty much the same. Of course, the specific rituals or interventions would be different. But what happens? In the initiation, you are taken through three steps, Ben. A departure, a passaging or an initiation phase, and the arrival. Like with every journey, the departure, passaging and arrival. The departure is a very conscious phase where each individual in that initiation asks, you know, what am I ready to let go? You know, like in the past, I may had a, a very codependent relationship with my mother where my orbit governed around the approvals and disapprovals of my mother or my relationship to authority, to life, to the larger ecosystem must may have been a, a relationship where I was sort of subservient to my father's authority or my rebellion to authority, to my father. Shedding the old skin, that is a departure phase. And then we are left in a space of not knowing, of like, oh, if that old self that was very familiar to me, that was certain to me, is gone, then who is the new self? And that is a stage of surrendering and allowing the universal wisdom to become an apprentice to a universal apprenticeship. One where our masters, our mentors, our teachers, you know, tell us what are the attributes of the mature masculine? What is the way of being and doing of the mature masculine? And incidentally, the passaging phase also is a phase of ordeal, passing through ordeal. 
slaying the inner demons, um, shedding the rebel within, opening up with, you know, wondrous curiosity to the explorer and coming to the mountaintop of illuminations or revelations of like, oh, yes, I can feel it inside me. The power, that infinite power of the mature masculine. So it's a very experiential process based on a number of ritual ceremonies, exercises, practices, processes, etc. And then with that illumination, you enter arrival. And arrival is essentially the return to our new self, returning to our habitat uh, with our blessings from the initiation. The simple recognition that this is that experience of the mature masculine inside me that I experienced when I was there in the wilderness, when I had shed all my control, my rebelliousness, and I've completely surrendered to the universal apprenticeship. That illumination that I received, that epiphany that I received, the experience I had at that moment, that is the divine experience of the mature masculine. Taking that blessing back to my habitat, to my life, whether it is towards my lover, towards my parents, towards my siblings, friends, in the community, etc. Let's call it a spiritual manifesto of the self, of the mature masculine. What it means, and suddenly qualities like valor, chivalry, honor, integrity, purposefulness, determination, principle-centered, compassion, disentangled uh, witnessship, everything that I've written about in the, in the book on the mature masculine. You know, it, it's there in two titles if you, if you look at it. It's called the mature masculinity or more recently, the Shiva Code. All those attributes become native to us. It becomes part of our spiritual manifesto. One that we, every day for the rest of our life, we continue practicing. That is the arrival. So closing to your question, this is essentially the initiation. Something that is, as you accurately pointed out, Ben, it's lost today, unfortunately. And we are starting to see, around, I'm not just starting to see, we've been experiencing the individual and collective trauma of the absence of initiations. The men not showing up in their mature masculine. That has been so wounding to the self and others. And something very tragic in the last four weeks, you know, in Italy, you might know I have a home in Italy. I have a home in India. Uh, my kids go to school in Italy so not far from Venice, in the hills, quiet life. So between Italy and India, I, I shuttle, uh, you know, also to hold space on this beautiful continent here uh, within the policymaking, political, business institutions, etc. Here, in the last four weeks, there has been two devastating events, both involved men, both lovers or ex-lovers of women, murdering the women. And uh, at least the first incident that happened about four weeks ago, it touched the collective Italian psyche so deeply. The funny thing, you know, there's nothing funny about it. There's nothing amusing about it. Yet the funny thing is, apparently I read a, a report that said that the same thing, happens 10 times a year only in Italy. A lover or spouse or a former lover are killing their partner. And this being a male killing a female. Four weeks ago, something like that happened and it was, uh, it really stirred the collective Italian psyche in a very, very, very big way to the extent, if I'm not mistaken, even the Italian premier spoke about it. It was a conversation in the media, all the media, nonstop, 24-7 for a number of days. But it's nothing new. And me, having been in men's work for so many years, like for the last 18, 19 years, pretty much nonstop every day. For me, it's not surprising. 
because I hear about this because I'm tuned into that, that world. I hear about this every day in every part of the world a number of times. And then one or two weeks ago, same thing happened. We could really categorically say the whole media was saying that masculinity is in crisis. And, you know, Albert Einstein, a Western sage, once said, never solve a problem at the same level of consciousness at which the problem exists. And why am I saying this to you, Ben, at this moment? Because the wounded psyche of Italia responding, reacting, you know what? The suggestions on the table are, this is media persons, mostly, and some uninitiated policymakers, all of them uninitiated, unfortunately. Sorry about my judgment. But, you know, I can even name names if you want about who these uninitiated policymakers and media persons are. That will probably not serve our purpose. But from the place of wound, the suggestions coming up are lock up these men in prisons without trial. Two, give a taser, you know, the taser, the instrument, the taser. The government should give a taser to every adult woman. Uh, three, double the, the prison sentence for these men. Four, let's build a lot more uh, informal prisons across the country to lock up all these men. And there might be more. You know, I re remember reading a post saying like, you know, we need to bring the American Second Amendment into Italia. And the government should donate, gift a gun to every woman. You know, so all this keeps coming up. Nobody can argue that masculinity is in crisis then. And the funny thing, and I was, I was talking about this with a very, very dear a lady friend of mine a couple of days ago. Actually, I've, I've saw one post on social media. Otherwise, I haven't heard any serious, truly intelligent conversation or contemplation around men and our upbringing as children. Nothing. Zero. Nothing intelligent from anybody who's in a position of power or authority. Nothing. I remember seeing one post and this post said something like, to truly address masculinity in crisis, we must look at our childhoods. We should look at the way our mothers brought us up. I'm just reading out what I remember. We should look at the way uh, our fathers were absent. We should look at the way our uh, unconscious schools function. You know, there's a lot of uh, education. There's something me adding. You know, all the education is on the objective sciences, on how you can code a website or how you can uh, find a country on a map or how you can read and interpret history. Zero is on the subjective education, the education of the self. Nothing. Anyway, back to that post. Very useful remarks. Let's look at our parents. Let's look at our schools. Let's look at our teachers. Let's look at our the kind of peer-to-peer -peer culture we've created for boys, where we all have to show up as macho. We are constantly competing with our friends. This one-upmanship. The media, extremely toxic on this land. I'm sorry to say this is judgmental, but... I can only speak as a consciousness scientist based on the observation I have. Very toxic. You know, these are, this is the force field in which these kids grow up. Anyway, that post was referring to these things. And the backlash that person received for that post. Finished. No conversation around that welcome. And Ben, you and I, I believe, if we want to address masculinity in crisis, the future of men. We have to go there. So, yes, the two incidents that I talked about, these are extreme incidents that dem clearly demonstrate that masculinity is in crisis. But you know what? I can tell you hundreds of everyday incidents 
that will demonstrate this in small ways, ways in which every one of us relates to what I mean by masculinity in crisis, Ben. You know, very frequently when I'm in Italia, you know, whether it is an Easter or a Christmas or a Halloween, I take the initiative to organize together with my kids a get-together, like a potluck get-together or anything else, bringing some children, some friends, some local families, etc. And I have to say, sorry if I sound judgmental. Again, as a consciousness scientist, I like to uh, base my conversations on my observations, data. You know, my son who's nine, pretty much every boy or girl who comes to join the parties, they are accompanied by their mothers, fathers absent. And I ask, you know, where is the dad? Not that they're separated. No, dad has other priorities. Number two is these other nine-year-old boys. I might be exaggerating. I'm an Indian you know, and I, I tend to be exaggerated. I tend to be dramatic. But I want to share based on, you know, what I observe. You know, the relationship between, I'm, observe, I'm a people watcher. That's one of my top hobbies, people watching. I just quietly just watch people for hours. When I go visiting a city, I don't like to go to the monuments and the museum. I like to find a squire, sit down and watch people. There's so much it's fascinating watching people. Anyway, I watch these friends of my son. The relationship between the, that son, nine-year-old, and the mother is literally this. A relationship of a bullying boyfriend and a submissive victim girlfriend. That is the relationship here in Italia between the mother and the son. And how does that bullying perpetuate? I notice this. I notice this often, oftentimes again, I'm, I've been watching this. The mother is telling the boy, hey, help me with the dishes or help me set the table or clear up your toys or go brush your teeth. And I notice the mother's voice has become a background noise. There's something very deep for us to explore in how we are bringing up our boys. Is just a background noise, one that doesn't even enter the ear of these boys. And I'm watching this, fascinating. I don't intervene. It is literally the mother eventually has to scream at the top of her lungs before the boy even hears that mother. There's a land that prides itself for its motherly love, the Italian mama thing. We, as pioneers for human evolution, as spearheads for human evolution, as consciousness scientists, we need to challenge all of that for our own sake, for the sake of the new generations. You know, what is the virtue there in that kind of parenting? I noticed this, this relationship, sort of a quasi-incestuous relationship there. And that's how they're growing up. And they become adults. Where I notice many of these young adult men and they come into my retreats, into my circles, into my space. I notice they sort of have a sense of entitlement towards a woman's love. The way they had it with their mothers. You know, the ever-forgiving mother. Ever-giving mother. What did they have? They would say like, you know what? I want one more mandarin. The mother gives one more mandarin. I want one more cookie. Get a cookie. I want the latest iPhone. You get the latest iPhone from the mother. I want money to go to the McDonald's. You get the money. No questions asked. You know, and then I do not make my own cup of tea. The mother will make it for me. I don't wash my own underwear. My mother will do it for me. You know, I open the refrigerator. I'm not satisfied with everything, the snacks that uh, I miss there. As a boy, my culture is I scream, Mom, why is the refrigerator empty? I think you recognize all of this as you continue observing. And then they become a young adult without initiation, nothing. And they carry with them a sense of entitlement for love, for a womanly love, which is a very legitimate need. That I demand this love. You know, how dare you 
individuate yourself. And in both these cases that I'm talking about where these women were murdered, you know, they were murdered because they had withdrawn from the lives of these two men. And they couldn't handle that loss of love. Loss of love, incidentally, is one of the three uh, losses that we can't handle in life. The other two being the loss of life and the loss of identity. The loss of love is so wounding for us, so traumatizing for everyone. True, you know, it's legitimate. So I'm not blaming the hurt that comes from the loss of love. But because there isn't initiations, issues are, one, we as men who individuate from the adolescent to the uh, adult, we have never truly learned to orient the locus of attention, of love inwards. In simple language, Ben, we've never been trained on self-love. Like, you know, touch wood. I hope I'm not coming across as arrogant or bragging. I have self-love. What does that mean for me? I love spending time with myself. Hours every day, I love spending alone with myself in my companionship because I love myself. I don't need, I don't have a hole uh, in me that needs to be filled by the presence of other people. That is how self-love exp uh, expresses. Through initiation, we learn self-love. We discover how divine we are, how incredible we are as a company for ourselves. That is completely absent. Two, initiations help us cut the emotional umbilical cord with the mothers. This codependent relationship with mothers. So that, you know, we can show up in the relationships in our lives, especially with the women around us or the feminine uh, partners around us. We can show up not from a place of neediness, for love, but from a place of abundant inner love that we want to share and celebrate with some other person. You see the difference between that? When I'm lacking internally, I'm in a vacuum. I'm from, from that place of lack, I'm desperately looking for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner so that this person can come into my life and fill me up and make me feel complete. That is a wrong premise. For the mature masculine, it is not even a consideration. The other alternative is I'm so full of self-love that I'm so effusive of that love. I'd like a partner to share and celebrate that abundant love with. That is something that comes from initiation. But also, initiation helps us understand you know, what it means to rever the feminine. You know, Because inside us also there's a feminine. And next to us, there are feminine, whoever. Not just feminine, all other genders, all other people, all other races, all other generations, all other cultures, plants, animals. You know, that appreciation comes through initiation too. And these are real things. You know, in the UK, I hear such a massive conversation going on around all these uh, illegal migrants. And that conversation is an important conversation to have. Because, you know, these migrants ideally would be better off in their own homes, in their own uh, habitat, in their own communities. If that kind of uh, safe and uh, prosperous conditions would be created for them. So it's an important, it's a, it's a relevant conversation to have and bold leaders must have that conversation. But a lot of that conversation is mixed with xenophobia, racism. And this land, me, as a, as a foreigner on this land, I can see that, you know, around me all the time. I just choose not to be a victim of somebody else's, you know, unconsciousness. That's a personal choice. But I see that, you know, initiation takes us beyond that to a place of awareness where we are connected to each other through our oneness, through our uh, everything that makes us the same than uh, separates us based on these conditioned notions of separateness. That is the power of initiation. And like the stories I was telling you about, this children growing up 
then they individuating and then they're resorting to violence because they can't handle the loss of love because they feel there's a sense of entitlement there's a an entrapment that they grew up with with their mothers with their fathers whatever for me the return of initiation is going to become the most revolutionary intervention that we are going to bring back the men kind today I mean, there's so much, isn't there? Just even in the phrase masculinity, in the sort of culture, which is why I kind of sort of asked, started with that sort of stupid question about what you meant by masculinity. Because in a way, the kind of the language of our culture, of our sort of contemporary culture, you know, particularly over the last sort of 10 years or so, you know, masculinity now sort of is in a way via the lens of contemporary culture associated with, in a sense, almost something kind of bad. You know, if you think about hashtag Me Too movements and all of those where clearly kind of predatory men uh, were kind of abusing kind of positions of power or strength or whatever it may be. And in a sense, the whole language, just the word masculinity, uh, becomes almost a toxic word in a sense. And so it's kind of really, I was kind of just curious and keen to hear what you meant by masculinity, because it, much because I guess in a sense that's one of the sort of default uh, kind of lenses I have that this idea that oh ma masculinity is bad, you know that's what the culture the culture tells us, and what you're sort of talking about there. Given there are sort of then generations of uh, men, young or old, who have who who don't have that connection, don't have that awareness. What? How do we sort of start to stitch that back then into into people's lives? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a very, very relevant uh, reflection you're having, Ben. If we would say masculinity is bad, then we would have to also agree femininity is bad. And we simply have to agree that our human existence is bad. And I would imagine pretty much most human beings, plants and animals agree with us. Even the entire uh, environment agrees with that. As the human existence is not really good for them. And we are proving this uh, delightfully uh, with data more seriously. Firstly, it's not my job to go and correct people in a more scientific way. You know, oh, no, wait a moment. You know, that's an inaccurate statement when somebody says masculinity is bad. Everybody is entitled to their own vocabulary. The way, in a more scientific way, I look at masculinity, that we look at masculinity is simple. It is a certain awareness that exists within every sentient being, as femininity is. You know. Now, if you look at some of the attributes of the masculine, the conventionally spoken, I'm not talking about men, I'm talking about the masculine. You know, we talk about some of this, uh, the, the spirit of uh, freeness. I talk about you know, this orientation towards a vision, a higher purpose, integrity, you know, where your word, word is your law, um, the idea of uh, valor, honor, all these things, principle-centeredness, the more straightforward simplicity, determination, focus, firmness, you know, these are all qualities associated with the masculine. That is masculinity. Like in a femininity, there are different set of attributes associated with the feminine, the gentle, the caring, the nurturing, uh, the more creative, the more intuitive, uh, etc., is associated with the inner femininity. That's a different awareness that we carry with it. You used the word predatory. That is a helpful segue to understand masculinity in more detail. There is an egoic masculine or the adolescent masculine, or, you know, I hear these days more words like juvenile masculine, toxic masculine, etc. You know, there is an uninitiated, a conditioned masculine that is really predatory. While the mature masculine is the protector, the juvenile masculine is a predator. That is the egoic masculine. And how do you classify that one? You know, I can throw some attributes at you that you will nod your head about, like the macho, this competitive one, the one who's, I'm the winner, I'm right. You know, you see that in the policymaking circles all the time, you know, those kind of personalities, the controlling, the dominant, the totalitarian, the authoritarian, 
even the manipulative, the predatorial. You know, these are all attributes of the adolescent masculine. Because there are no experts today, either who don't understand that much the true masculinity, or they lack the courage, because of which we don't take the time to have this conversation, to help distinguish between you know, what is the mature masculine and what is the adolescent masculine. You know, humanity cannot exist in the absence of the masculine, as humanity cannot exist in the absence of the feminine, how much ever science might advance. Now, all, all these institutions look at the, the firepersons, the plumbers, the electricians, the timber workers, the masons, the construction workers. Somehow, it's 90% or more men. You know, at the same time, it's also very helpful to look at same statistics. You know, more than 90% of those incarcerated are men. In most of the Western countries, more than two-thirds of those who suicide are men. Uh, almost every homeless person who does not receive shelter is a man. Mental health challenges that goes uh, untreated men. Incidentally, for 14 days from now, I'm actually recording for Netflix, for the OTT platforms, a documentary, uh, eight-episode docu-series on initiation to the mature masculine. It's a big budget thing. You know, people have been super generous and, you know, we've continued to collect funds and we brought a great production team together and a great set of participants, men, who are uh, very courageous to uh, agree to do this walk with me. I'll facilitate it and be open, authentic on camera to ensure that hundreds of millions of people, you know, get into a proper and accurate conversation about what's going on. You know, it's very nice in the New Age movement to throw out their talking points without understanding the science and the true reality. And one of the uh, three intentions of this docu-series is to cultivate greater compassion at every level of society, greater compassion for the challenges that men face. You know, you talk about domestic violence, I have actually held space for so many men who've been incarcerated or put in juvenile centers, etc., because of domestic violence. And I listen to them. And repeatedly, I hear them say, Sujit, you have to believe me, I'm not that person. I'm not that person that I've been framed to be or I've been portrayed to be. I'm not. And I believe them because we all have duality. You are a very nice person. I'm a very nice person until somebody shows me a finger. Who knows? Shows me a middle finger. I get so triggered. Suddenly from being all this Jekyll, I become the Hyde. And initiation is also one where we reclaim our inner authority. One where I come to a place of pure presence where your finger, your middle finger, I will interpret your middle finger more as a representation of your reality rather than mine. You're showing me the middle finger that shows that you are unhappy. It doesn't say anything about who I am. To offer that, to put that agency back in your code comes from initiation. Back to the masculinity thing. It is important to distinguish a couple of things. One, pointless trying to bash masculinity because that is equivalent of self-bashing. Every one of us, we have the inner masculine within, whether we are in a male form or a female form or a transgender form, doesn't matter. We have masculinity within. Bashing it, no help. I can tell you enough stories of where, you know, there are institutions with only women and they don't exist anymore, you know, simply because these institutions don't have diversity and they get into other set of crises that male-only organizations get into. Either ways, not helpful. Distinguishing between the, the adolescent, the juvenile masculine, and the mature, the divine, the sacred masculine is important. So yes, completely, you know, masculinity is in crisis. Oh, absolutely, it is in crisis. I would be the first person to say that. 
And I think pretty much everyone around me agrees with it. Some of my greatest friends and partners are feminists or feminist organizations. Big champions. You know, this documentary that I'm making, the kind of help I've received from feminist organizations is phenomenal. Because we have the same cause. They recognize that I'm doing something about something that is creating divisions, inequality, violence in society. That's men's work uh, about. So even they, these friends of mine, they do recognize, yes, there is a, a positive component to masculinity as there is an egoic component. And to take a step back dispassionately, asking what is it that we can do in a, in a, in a genuine way, not like you know, this crappy suggestions, like taser uh, or a gun given to every woman and you know, creating all these informal and temporary uh, jails to lock up every second man, etc. You know, uh, it's interesting uh, to laugh about with a cup of tea. I'm, I'm so I'm conscious of your time. But there's a couple of other things I'm just I'm really kind of curious about within within the the context of this. One is um, is it the, the, this so the, this the kind of lack of an initiation? I can I'm sort of really kind of feeling and understanding the, the thread of what you're talking about. Is it you know to what extent is it possible um, for initiation to be experienced at any age? Because in a sense, we started talking about initiation uh, by your own experience, like the, the kind of 15, 16. I was thinking very much about my own boys in that. Uh, but then as you kind of have spoken, thinking about my own uh, my kind of own life life growing up. And so kind of conscious about, um, curious about whether the extent to which initiation can be experienced at, at any age. And the other thing which was just in my mind, which you can sort of go with or not go with, uh, you were sort of, you were talking about like the, the kind of egoic drives around kind of masculinity. And one of the other things I was sort of struck by, which obviously also just reflects my, so I'm 51. And so kind of, you know, noticing as kind of 51, a lot of those egoic drives, of course, you know, sort of start to kind of lose, lose their hold somewhat. And I guess the thing that I was thinking about as you were sort of talking is, that's sort of, you know, despite a kind of initiation. So just the kind of passage of time a little bit. And, uh, and I kind of also kind of feeling that that leaves men particularly around that sort of age a little bit lost. I was reflecting on a conversation I was having with someone and we were talking about this idea of masculinity, but not from this lens. Because what he was sort of saying was that he was sort of appreciating not needing to be top of the pile, not needing to kind of win, not needing to have the most vocal voice. Uh, and in a sense, it's sort of like the kind of relief of time for him kind of meant that he could sort of step into a little bit more uh, the, the kind of wise masculine state that you were sort of talking about. You know, there are a couple of layers to this question. Mm. And uh, I want to make sure that I address all those layers appropriately. And the first one is around, you know, when is the right time? The best time is the teen years. In our tradition, we aim between 15 and 19 as the best window. And why is that the best window? Um, it's because, you know, remember, that is a time of great individuation going on within men. You go back to the time you were 15. When I go back, I, I understand uh, this, that we are so searching ourselves. We are so unsure of ourselves. We so mask our insecurity with this macho, confident thing, which is exactly what uh, it uh, uh, exposes, that is insecurity. It is all insecure men who have this, this confident, macho facade. The truly confident men are the wise, quiet men who have no show off. You know, the ones who are so comfortable in their skin that they have nothing to prove that I'm right, I'm the winner, I am like the next incarnation of the divine. Nothing, you know. Uh, they're not kind of peacocking or anything. They are the wise elders, you know, like that. Um, this individua individuation time uh, when you are a teenager is the best time because we are so deeply searching that if only the resources would be available for initiation. And number two, I would just have the humility to, you know what, I'm not the know-it-all. 
just out of a pure sense of adventure, I'm happy to jump into initiation. That, if that motive is there and the resources are provided for, poof, there would be an alchemy that happens across society. And here, before I forget, I want to say this, you know, among your audience for that reason, Ben, if there are people who are, doesn't matter of what gender they are, if they are truly caring about the societal cause, about the relational cause, about the educational cause, about the children's cause, about the men's cause, about women's cause, then I welcome them to be part of this conversation through whatever channel that you offer. I welcome them to reach out to me and ask questions. I welcome them to open doors to policymakers who have the courage to do something genuinely difference-making for men and for, of course, the women and children and people of other genders around them. You know, I want to put that invitation out. Let's, let's expand this conversation so that we do the right thing rather than think about, you know, more informal prisons and locking up men without any trials and giving a gun and taser to every woman, those kind of things. Those are not serious people. You should not even take them seriously. So those courageous policymakers or social leaders who want to be part of the solution, initiation for me, I have to say, is the greatest intervention to transform the course of the history making we are part of. And I can say that authoritatively from the age of 15, for the last 36 years, I've been in men's work on every continent. Some people even call me one of the pioneers or the current modern fathers of the modern men's movement. You know, I've been involved with men of all ages, all races, all uh, uh, continents. And I've been the founder of the, the festivals of brotherhood in many different countries. And some of them are still running beautifully. I've been more than 500 plus sacred circles for men. I've been instrumental in launching worldwide because these are safe spaces. These are sacred spaces where men can come and do their healing and grow, be authentic, connect, heal, all of that. Having been in all of this, I can authoritatively say that any man who would jump into initiation will never regret it because that is the greatest gift that he can give himself or society can give men. I would say every school should reintroduce initiations. The kind of benefits that will come out of it is so huge that it is a policy, it will become a policy initiative when you start seeing the difference that it makes. You know, but it's not only to your question, Ben, only for 15 to 19 year olds. No, I've had a man who was 82 or 83 year old who came into one of my eight day walks of initiation. You know, the only challenge is the older and older we get, the more difficult it becomes for us to subtract old conditioning. That is the only challenge there. It takes a little bit more effort than for a teenager to peel old conditioning in order to welcome the new that is already resident within each man. So I welcome, you know, even this walk we are doing, the one that is being recorded, the age bracket is, I don't know, maybe from 20 to 60. Everyone, it's never too late to jump into an initiation like that Younger than 15, I personally, I know there are probably some traditions where even at 13 initiations happen, but younger than 15, my feeling is there are men not yet ready for that kind of cutting the umbilical cord from the old life. That's beautiful, Sujith. And I'm conscious, I'm conscious of time. So uh, where, where, where can people, because uh, I appreciate also your, your kind of your, your invitation to, to widen, the, widen the conversation, to, to bring more people in. Where would people, uh, where can people best find you? The easiest would be social media. I mean, if somebody would Google my name, I think uh, there would be many hundreds of hits around men's work and probably some emails would be available. The safest, the surest way would be through LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, 
you know, platforms where I'm not personally very active, but those are active platforms thanks to beloved friends who who kind of manage them. Yeah, we we will include all of the uh, links to to your work and, and websites and, and things like that. So uh, we'll include all of that in in the notes for sure. Is there any kind of uh, sort of parting thought that you'd like to leave leave our listener with? But firstly, I'm so grateful, Ben. You know that we had this conversation, and you know you gave me permission to be as candid as possible, uh, as provocative as possible. And I'm grateful for that. You know, that is, those are the kind of conversations that make a difference. Uh, you know, we don't have to be politically correct about how divine our mothers are, our fathers are, and how we cannot criticize or uh, uh, evaluate our schooling system, et cetera. No. And having that kind of a conversation and you holding space for that, I'm grateful for that. This is a fundamentally essential conversation to have in the most truthful manner manner the absence of truthfulness or political correctness already demonstrates the absence of masculinity because masculinity is associated with fierce truthfulness we take a stand for principle over anybody's hurt emotions because of the the truth we speak truth always hurts it hurts somebody or the other And what has happened, at least around me in these nine, 10 countries that I frequent every year, you know, helping policymaking and other men's work, they're way too polite, way too nice to be truthful or honest. And my invitation, my my parting invitation, my remark is, you know, let's bring truthfulness back so that something that needs to be discussed in the right spirit, so that right action can be mobilized, can be done. Whatever the choice of words should not separate us. Uh, The truth that is spoken should unite us instead. That would be a parting reminder for myself. Ah, beautiful. Sujith, thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much. To be continued. Thank you again for listening. We really hope you enjoyed that conversation. As ever, if you like what we're doing, uh, if you think anyone, if you, anyone you know would benefit from listening to this conversation, enjoy it or dislike it even as much as you have, please feel free to share it. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. The sharing is the lifeblood of this. Sharing and liking, I think, are the, the currency of our modern time. So if you take a moment to, you know, share it with somebody who you think would benefit, we hugely appreciate that. Or even take some time to write a review, uh, irrespective. If you like what we're doing, you can find out more. If you search up peripheral-thinking.com, you'll find your way to the podcast website. You can sign up there. You can register there. You can keep abreast of everything that we're doing. We'd be sure to keep you notified as soon as the next conversations go live. Meantime, thanks again for your time. Thanks again for your ears. uh, And we look forward to you joining us next time.